sedentary. The world is full of unopened anecdotes. Stories with subtle details lie within the etchings of each envelope. The ink among each account somehow ties together the mysterious sound of the world. Some pages sing of freedom, other pages sing of pain. Some patrons choose to dance with devils and others two step in the rain. Illegible intelligence exists within the midst of our Earth's air. It is not that we can't read, it's simply that we do not care. Gifts go on to die among the land we call tomorrow. Although the purpose seems unclear, life lies in fear instilled with sorrow. On borrowed time is every sedentary story that exists. Embrace the call or risk it all to lose the gift. I'm afraid my generation's in repair. Imagine drowning, then somehow coming up for air. This is the sigh of relief breathed from every letter once it's opened. The delivery of a promise, one that was once perceived as broken. But how forgetful we can be when we neglect the art to see that our mail is carried close with genius love. How we regret when it's ourselves we're thinking of. These stories hold the power to change lives, and some might even have the power left to save. There's hope in every envelope. What if we opened up and cared to notice every page? Self-fulfilling prophecy, also known as the interpersonal expectancy effect. It refers to this phenomenon where a person or a group's expectations for the behavior of another person or group serves actually to bring out the prophesied or expected behavior. This is why we overlook individuals. It's why we stay in conflict with our significant other or our family members and why it's become so easy for people groups who are not interconnected by class, culture or race to realize that our differences do not make us dangerous. The poem that opened the show this morning is a two part poem titled Sedentary Letter. It's an allusion to how we overlook the love that lives next to us how we miss out on what others have to offer, and it examines what the world would look like if we lifted the lenses that often exist on our eyes to recognize who and what is actually right in front of us. Seeing people, places, and problems, or lack thereof, for what they actually are and not what we want them to be. A good friend of mine actually sent me a study recently that Cornell published, and it gives perspective to how our biases and stereotypes serve as a barrier to the becoming of another and ultimately ourselves. Here is one of the quotes from the publication. We tend to notice information that is consistent with our schema. And we tend to disregard or not notice information that is inconsistent with our schema. Unsurprisingly, it's more difficult for us to process information that is not consistent with our schema. Hold on to that word schema. We're going to break it down in a second. What we see in research is that if you provide somebody with a label, a schema, or a stereotype prior to exposing them to somebody, it actually influences what information 
they notice. Again, this is a publication from Cornell on diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Now, you heard the word schema thrown around a number of times within the quote. And for the sake of understanding, I just want to share the word's definition. Simply put, a schema is the representation of a plan or a theory in the form of an outline or a model. Or simply put, a schema is just your representation or your ideology of someone or something. In the quote we read, it's asserting that we ought to be careful what thoughts we let flood our minds about others before, during, and after an interaction or conflict. When we see a headline in the daily paper, when a social channel shares an idea or an opinion, after we've had a less than lovable interaction with someone else, we have to proceed with caution. Because if we're not careful, our ideas and our unprocessed thoughts can create a schema, this framework through which we see the world, one that is self-serving and affirming only to us, walking right in line with the interpersonal expectancy effect or what you and I both know as self-fulfilling prophecy. And whether we're willing to admit it or not, this has happened to us all. In relationships, at work, and within the world, we've all operated out of fear. In living in opinion or unsafe places of processing, it actually sets the stage for the five steps of self-fulfilling prophecy. And they are this. Number one, this is how it starts. You form expectations of others, yourself, or an event. The second step is that you express those expectations verbally or non-verbally. You're thinking and expressing those thoughts outwardly or you're just holding them subconsciously inwardly. Third thing that happens is that others adjust their behavior and communication to match your ideology or the messaging you've created in your mind. Step four is your expectations become reality. And then five, the step that you've been looking for since step number one, you get confirmation and that strengthens your belief. You know, in last week's episode, we shared how people becoming proximate to one another can create problems. And this week, I want to share the other side of that two sided truth. And that's this proximity creates perspective. People not seeing people is indeed a modern day dilemma. When injustice occurs in communities of color at the hands of the majority, individuals become quick to use the quote, I don't see color. Or when they're faced with a hot button issue like racism or classism or any other ism that affects a sect of our society, people say, well, why does it always have to be about race? Or why does it always have to be about class or sex or insert noun before the suffix that we know as ism. You see the point. But can you take in for a second the issue affecting those that are unhoused? I learned recently through an organization that my dear friend created that those who are unhoused or living on the streets can actually, at the minimum, go up to a year without receiving direct eye contact from another human being. Which brings me to one of our primary points of today, being unseen is indeed an epidemic. It's a widespread issue that's affecting endless individuals in the midst of our cultural moment. Now listen, I'm not here to damn anyone or to con condemn anyone. I'm merely here to offer ideas and also some empathy surrounding this topic of how we can't see other people often. 
Maybe you experienced trauma in the home as a youth. And this permeation of never being seen is now an issue that you carry around with you that affects you inwardly, but also affects others. I want you to take in account for a second that we're also digital natives. Many of us listening to this podcast were raised in a generation where we see more people on a screen than we have in reality. The pandemic also affected us in that way. As we approached the idea of shelter in place and we all stayed inside, it became difficult for us to connect and really see and have social interaction with other people. Maybe what you've had modeled for you is just the way that you've been molded. And unless you're innately designed to solve issues that you see, you simply can't give what you don't have. And I think that it's safe to say that we do not live in a time where individuals are itching and eager to do the hard work and grow and embrace the discomfort that comes equipped with admitting fault and finding a way forward. When we're stuck in our ways and we refuse to rewire our wrongs, we cannot see other people because we can't even see ourselves. And it's what we believe about ourselves that we will ultimately invite others into. So for a second, I just want to take a little skirt. You know, I want to go off the path for a second and invite you into some revelation that comes from a conversation in the New Testament gospel of Matthew from the Bible. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 39 say this. In hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question, said, Rabbi, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus replied, number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And second is like this, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, what we see here, just stay with me. We don't talk about the Bible often in this podcast, but this is a core tenet of my faith and just something that I believe is a universal truth here. What we see here in this setting is Jesus responding to two very religious and questioning groups of Jews. You've got the Sadducees who do not believe in the resurrection. OK, and then you've got the Pharisees who are expert teachers of the law. And they say, hey, Mr. Know-it-all, since you know the law so well that Moses gave us, can you tell us what the greatest commandment out of all Ten Commandments is? So he reaches deep into his bag of wisdom and he's referencing the central text of Jewish life from Deuteronomy, an Old Testament book. And in the sixth chapter, we get to see this beautiful, beautiful thing referred to as the Shema Yisrael. And he translates and issues from this Hebrew text the most important and memorable command in all of the Bible. He said there is nothing more important than loving God with all your heart your soul, your mind, and your strength. The second thing that he says is this, the second greatest command, which is not so second. You need to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And here's a little fun fact for you. This is the only question in all of scripture that Jesus was ever asked that he, that he gave an answer to directly. He would often answer the question with the question or give a parable in a teaching, but he said, I'm gonna get right to the point because there's nothing more important than the question that you're asking. So he gave the same answer that any rabbi in all of the land would have given, but he added in a necessary nuance. The elements in the original text say heart, soul, and strength. But Jesus gave a more updated issuance, and he says this heart, soul, mind, and strength. Think about that for a second. The Shema Yisrael. 
this central text to Jewish life, these teachers are pressing him and asking him out of all 10 commandments and the many that come after that, what's the most important one? And Jesus says, I want you to, yes, acknowledge the fact that you are to love God with all your heart, your soul and your strength. But he added this word into it, your mind. And I think the most notable thing in this updated version of the most important command in all of the universe, I see four elements interacting with one another to create what you and I can know and agree on as personhood. Follow me for a second. This idea of personhood, you know, the baseline for being a human is to have a heart. Yes, the one inside of your chest that pumps blood and beats throughout the body but also a heart in the sense of having desire or passion. It's one's will to live. Think about the soul for a second. It's that thing that you can't see, but you know what's in there somewhere. The spiritual, rational, immortal substance of man. The thing that creates our conscious and subconscious minds and movements. The thing that creates an existential crisis within the hearts and minds of those who have no idea why they are here on planet Earth. The soul. Then the strength our physical being, the fullness of our beloved bodies. And lastly, this nuanced but necessary addition to the Shema Yisrael in the words of Jesus, our minds, the sensory supercomputer that creates solutions and reminds us of the most beautiful memories in all of life. The thing that invites you in your entirety into understanding. The thing that allows you to identify. The thing that allows you to see. Now, look, I, I can't save nobody, and that's not what I'm here to do. And I don't have answers. As I've told you before, I merely have ideas and I'm inviting you into them. And I know that professing faith in God is a huge deal. And furthermore, outwardly expressing your faith in a resurrected Messiah is another even greater ordeal. But that's not why we're here. I'm not here to beat you over the head with the Bible. I'm simply giving you context to call into question what Jesus extended as the second greatest commandment. Loving your neighbor as you love yourself. To see someone else. Could it be that the reason we don't see others is because we're actually loving our neighbor as ourselves? Albeit improper, maybe we're simply sharing all that we've been shown. You know, I would argue that if you don't know that you're created in the image of God, in his likeness, if you don't know that you are uniquely crafted and placed here on planet Earth for a particular purpose, if you don't believe that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, if you deny yourself dignity and divinity, you definitely won't be able to extend any of these other things to someone else. And as we exist in this epidemic of the unseen, relationally, societally, emotionally, spiritually, I just want you to call into question, how are you loving yourself? And when you answer this question, you might see how for the negative or positive how that love is affecting your ability to engage and invite others into that same image that they were created in. If you can't see yourself, you can't be yourself. And you'll ultimately become resentful when other people remind you of that truth and how they live and how they love. And then furthermore, maybe you'll even try to craft for yourself a future that might not be fit for you to flourish through your professional and your personal endeavors through the creation and idolization of family, through money, through success. All of these things can create this emulated identity for you, pulling you further from the presence rather than closer. 
So as we prepare to close, let's just revisit the poem from the top of our time together and examine what it looks like to give dignity to all the sedentary letters, all of those unread stories, all of the unseen people out there in the world, and maybe call into question how we might be able to go out with this commission today and love other people as we've been loved. letter. Imagine drowning, then somehow coming up for air. This is the sigh of relief breathed from every letter once it's opened. The delivery of a promise, one that was once perceived as broken. But how forgetful we can be when we neglect the art to see that our mail is carried close with genius love. How we regret when it's ourselves we're thinking of. These stories hold the power to change lives. And some might even have the power left to save. There's hope in every envelope. What if we opened up and cared to notice every page? Well, that was the latter half of the poem you now know as Sedentary Letter. And truly, this has been a beautiful episode, maybe one of my favorites, really calling into question, man, do we know ourselves? Uh, do we love God with our heart, mind, soul and strength the, that, that makes up personhood, that makes up humanity? I hope that you see the through line here, that if we get the first part right, we get everything else right. And I don't know what that looks like for you. And maybe you're not further on down the line in your spiritual journey, but Spirituality is all of life, whether you're agnostic or atheist or Islamic or Christian, whatever it is, all of life is this beautiful spiritual journey. And a part of that beautiful spiritual journey is being able to see other people that don't live like you or vote like you or think like you or act like you or have the same preferences that you do. And what we see in all of this is the fullness of life and its makeup. And I wonder how many of us are missing out on the fullness of life because we are so stereotypically filtering our minds and we've got bias influencing us and our self-fulfilling prophecy about people, groups and individuals is isolating our ability to think. I know these are deep, heavy thoughts, which there are going to be every week that you come back to the Humanities Table podcast. But these are just things that I want you to think about today. How many people out there are living lives unseen? How many people out there are sedentary letters inside of the envelope and it's creaked open just waiting to be pulled out, opened and examined? You have the ability to do that for other people today. You have the ability to see. And I pray that you would go out, that you would see others and love them in the way that they deserve to be loved. Well, look, ladies and gentlemen, this is the end of season one of the Humanities Table podcast. Um, and I know, like I said a couple episodes ago, I don't owe you anything, but I do not want to leave you hanging high and dry. It's been such a busy, beautiful year. Uh, the last several weeks putting out this content, wrapping up all the things that we touched on last year. It's, it's awesome. This is definitely an achievement and something beautiful to sit with. But it has been a crazy year, man. It really has. Um, I've had upwards of 70 speaking engagements. That's teaching, hosting, creative workshops. Um, that's busy. I published my second book this year. That's busy. Uh, I produced some short films and created more than a handful of some huge creative projects 
formed a lot of corporate and nonprofit partnerships. And believe it or not, I'm actually still working a full time salary job. So uh, I want to use the remaining two months of 2022 just to rest, to take sabbatical and Sabbath. Um, to really grab some deep breaths and reflect on how beautiful this year was so that when 2023 rolls around, we can do it all again and then some. Um, you know, I never really ask you for much outside of your listening ear uh, and sharing this podcast with others. But I do have a few asks as we close our time together here at the table. Number one, listen, can you please leave a review if this podcast has done anything for you? In any of the 10 episodes that have been published in this season, can you just leave a review? Go on podcasts on Apple or anywhere else that you can leave a review. And just if it's five stars, five star it. If there's a quote that you love or some ideas that you want to share about it, please just do that. It really helps uh, get this in front of other people. This is organic. This is a one man show. Um, I don't have anybody editing for me doing the producing or anything like that. I'm literally in my closet right now. OK, recording this podcast um, reading off of my computer, which is the script that I write every week. Um, and then I'm going to go to a local coffee shop a couple blocks away and I'm going to edit it and publish it all today. OK, so if you could leave a review, this really helps um, with the network and getting it out there. So please and please, please, please do that. Second thing that you could do is just share it, share it with a friend, share it with a family member. There are some really awesome tools that have been created in uh, this season of the Humanities Table podcast that could be great conversation starters as we go into the holiday. OK, you got to be around your family this holiday or maybe you're going to be around some friends. You might want to break the ice with some things that have been talked about on the podcast. And this is an awesome way to start a conversation. Third thing is this. Um, I did, like I said earlier, publish my second book this year. Uh, it's called Fragments and Finality. It's an introspective approach to understanding identity. It's not just a bunch of text on page, uh, nonfiction self-help. That's not what that is. It's a creative culmination of photography and poetry and essays and digital media QR codes that you can scan and watch short films that I've created. I would love for you to grab a copy over at NigelDarius.com. That's N-I-G-E-L-D-A-R-I-U-S.com. Uh, and yeah, buy a copy. Great stocking stuffer. Great gift for a friend. Just great thing to put on your coffee table. Pick up and read sometimes. It's a beautiful book. I would love for you to grab a copy. And then lastly, out of the four things that I'm asking for you as we close our time together is this. Reach out if anything has resonated with you. I'm not really on social media right now outside of posting like once a week to get people to come and, and, and stream the podcast and download it. But uh, I would love for you to reach out to me at my um, business email. It's uh, info, I-N-F-O at NigelDarius.com. So if you ever want to chat, if you want to talk about some of the topics, if you got ideas to share, feedback, if you hated the episode and you think that my theology is whack and uh, my philosophy is shit, uh, shoot me an email and we could talk about it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that's it. I know that this episode was a little longer, but it was important and I wanted to share these things with you. And uh, yeah, if you could just help me out with these few things here at the end, that would be awesome. Um, I hope that you know that you are so loved. OK, uh, absolutely beloved. There is grace for today and there is freedom for your future. And I pray that you would live in that. We'll be back at the top of 2023 with a new format and some new content for the Humanities Table podcast. But until then, I'm signing off. I feel like Carson Daly on TRL live right now. Signing off. See you next week. 
uh, I feel like AJ and Free on 106 and Park right now. Catch you when I catch you. See you when I see you next year. Enjoy the holiday season. Turn up that Mariah Carey. And, uh, you know, enjoy your life, man. Just don't hurt nobody. Catch you next season on the Humanities Table Podcast. Go in peace. You are loved.